Welcome to AFMA 360. On today's Did You Know, this will be podcast one of two to talk about our upcoming budget. And today we're going to start with a budget overview. With me, I have Assistant Chief Mary Dalton. How are you doing, Mary? I'm good. So Rebecca threw you a little bit under the bus, right? She took today off versus I was going to interview both of you. So she she just kind of left you out there on your own. She did. She did. That's okay. She's done a tremendous amount of work recently. So Absolutely. it's great she, for her to take some time off. Yeah, she definitely has deserved a day off after all the work that she's had to put in, even to get us to where we are today, right? Completely, yes. Okay, so if we can start off, you've been involved with the budget here with AFMA for a number of years. Uh, this process has been a little bit different. Part of it's due to the merger, but part of it also is just the way that we're approaching the budget this year. Would you mind, you know, maybe talking a little bit about the the approach that we've used? Sure. So uh, in the past, we had not as many people, I would say, not as many people involved in the budget process. We had um, managers provided input on what they'd like to see, but we didn't necessarily all get together and discuss that. Many districts do this this way, have looked at it. Really, everybody had a chance to kind of explain their request, and everybody else had some understanding of, oh, I get it. Now I see why, for instance, the administrative director is asking for a records management program. It's, you know, it's part of the law. She has to have that. We have this number of records. Prior to that, other managers were likely looking at it going, wait, why do we spend 20000 on records management? Um, we could have spent 20000 on this. I don't understand why we need to spend this money on this. So I felt like that kind of joint collaborative effort worked really well this year. Yeah, I think it's an important point. You know, you can get locked in no matter what area of the authority you're, you know, responsible for, especially at the division manager level, that kind of becomes your world, right? That becomes your primary focus. And so I, I think the the power of what you just described is huge. Not every division manager got everything that they wanted, even in the initial cuts that we were looking at internally as staff. But to your point, at least they understood you know, basically what the important focus was going to be for us mm-hmm. for this next fiscal year and then how they played into that. Yeah, I think that was helpful. You know, one of the things that we ha- sent out was a request to say, provide us input as far as what you need in, in additional staffing next year. And that went out to everybody to put input in. And I think in the end, we had 26 additional positions through that same process of people describing why they need this position, what workload there's going to complete, what's not going to get completed if we don't have those positions, and why it is either a critical, a a necessary, or just a nice to have. And I think we were able to, again, pair that list of 26 down and say, you know, I get it, that's a nice to have position, or maybe that's a necessary but not critical uh, position and maybe next year we can look at that. Yeah. And I think it's important not only, you know, for us as assistant chiefs, but then also for the fire chief that as we have these discussions with the board, understanding what our capabilities are and then making sure that we're not burning out our personnel, right? Because I, I think those service needs are always going to increase if we're not able to build the staff to take care of those increases, though, we really have to prioritize what we focus on. Completely. I agree completely. So one of the things that kind of is part of that exercise was that in addition to looking at those positions and looking at what kind of workload they have and what programs was really another reevaluation of if we don't have that that individual or that person to complete that program, 
can we complete the work they were doing? And is the work they were doing as necessary as it as we feel like? Is it critical to our community and the service we provide, or is it a nice to have? So um, I'm trying to think of an example, but we had several of those that we said, you know what, this is a nice to have, but it's probably not a critical service that we provide. And so maybe we need to not um, provide that particular ancillary service that we have in the past. And maybe it's something we can look at in the future of providing. Yeah. And I think it also provides us, you know, kind of a jumping off point for next year's fiscal, not for 23-24, but really for 24-25, that if we can go back and look at what we thought the critical or the the nice to haves were, now do those move up to critical or have we shifted focus and now they slide further down the list? But at least we have a, a starting point for then the following fiscal year budget. I agree completely. We kept track of, you know, we had that day we put everything on the whiteboard and kind of marked through those and prioritized those. We still have all of those notes. It's something for us to look at. Um, has that need grown or has it decreased a little bit based on sometimes it might be, you know, responses, the growth in the communities, the, the demographics of the community we research, some of those changes happen year to year. Yeah. And I think it's important too, that with those 26 FTEs, it was all the way across the authority. Some were emergency response positions, others were administrative positions. I know Chief Puckett had a a number of needs and and that just has to do with the number of facilities that we have currently, as well as, you know, with the merger, as well as apparatus, because that all of those numbers have grown, you know, pretty significantly. Completely. And I think that one of the challenges, especially with fire districts, is fire districts are limited in their funding. And it's just the, and it's a matter of financially and the laws that are set up in the state of Arizona. Fire districts across the state struggle with financing. And obviously, our first priority is delivery of emergency and rescue services. So, what ends up happening sometimes is that support services ends up getting really overloaded with a lot of things. And Chief Puckett's a perfect example. He's managing so much. And I re- I know he could really use some additional assistance. But at some point, we have to look at what our response times are. And I know one of the things we looked, talked about was the possibility of a peak time ambulance. And with increasing call volumes and response times, and that priority decision comes down. And sometimes it's we, we know you guys are just working 24-7 to keep the fleet and the and facilities up. But yet at the same time, we need to provide that ambulance service. So we've got to look at first priority being that peak time ambulance rather than another helper in in uh, fleet or facilities. Yeah. And unfortunately, it, you can look at it that it, it's kind of almost a vicious circle, right? So we had that peak time ambulance. Now there's a greater need for mechanics and to keep that unit on the road, uh, whether you're talking about, you know, the vehicle itself and maintenance or the supplies that they need, or, you know, anything that has to do with keeping that as a, as a functional emergency response unit. I, I think so. I think that is, um, it's a struggle every fire district in Arizona is honestly facing. And it is one of the reasons, you know, last year we tried to prop, pass Prop 310. It was really close. It didn't pass. That would have been hugely beneficial to all of our communities. We weren't able to get that, um, but we will continue to look at that. And it will be a primary focus for fire districts of how do we continue to provide that critical service that Arizona residents and visitors really need. 
And I think that's a really important um, point to, you know, really for us to discuss, not only for our employees, but then if there are, you know, the 10 or so viewers that may be from <laughs> somewhere within the communities that we serve, uh, coming from the municipal world, you know, we're always, we always had the benefit of the state shared revenue um, versus having to really rely on the tax base that comes from our residents. Uh, that is not the case in the district world. No, it's challenging because especially in some small districts, and I know we talked about this a lot during the pro- Prop 310 kind of campaign, but we have small districts and that have just a, a small, small number of residents. Uh, Tucson in Grand Canyon is a perfect example. Tucson has probably 100 residents, yet they get millions of visitors there. So now they're struggling with how do they provide the services and the medical supplies and all the things they need to provide good care to the citizens that continue to come through there. But even in our authority, we see that. We see springtime training visitors. We see visitors in the the visitors that come in the winter that don't necessarily have a home here. They're just visiting or maybe renting. They're not they're not paying into the service because we don't have that state shared revenues. It's only the property owners in our areas that end up paying for those services. So it's a balance. It's a balance of providing good service and looking at how much can our property owners afford. Sure. And then uh, the other thing, and, and I never realized this prior to coming to working for the authority, but even within the ability to tax the, the residents, there's also a cap, right, that was passed as a state law. There is. There's actually so many limitations, and this wasn't how it was when I started in the fire service, but it has evolved to this. So there's a tax rate cap. But in addition to that, there's a cap of 5% on what property values can go up. So values, even though you know now we're seeing a little slowing down of those values, but prior to the what we call the Great Recession, at the Great Recession, when we, in 2008, 2009, when the property values dropped so low, that's when those those caps were put in place that now they could only go up by 5% a year. Many districts lost in excess of 50% of their value. So they're gaining 5% a year. It takes 10 years to gain back. In the meantime, you know, as we're seeing with, with inflation and everything else, just aren't even prior to this large inflation increase. Often inflation between medical supplies and and fire trucks and those things that we, those specialty items that we have to purchase far exceeded that 5%. So it was, it's been really a struggle keeping up with that, with that 5% limitation. And then the tax rate cap, we also have a levy limitation. We can't increase our levy by more than 8% a year. So kind of with those three, it's a really small box that fire districts have been put in. Absolutely. And you look, and I just uh, was reading earlier this morning, you know, AZ Central, I saw this recently. I went and filled up my personal vehicle at Costco last week and, and, you know, 91, I have to put that because I have a, I have a nice truck, but, um, <laughs> it was almost $5 a gallon. And that was in AZ central today that now gas has pretty much hit $5 a gallon here in the Valley. Yeah. So it's, it's challenging because our, our employees are having to, their employees, they're paying, they, they're having to, uh, have that position where they, they spend a lot of time traveling back and forth when they're not on shift. Um, they pay the price just like every other citizen, but so does the authority. We, we're filling up fire trucks. They don't get the best gas mileage, right? Uh, and so that's a huge cost to us. A significant increase we saw in our budget development this year, as well as last year, right? And I expect if things don't change, we'll see that again next year. And that's on down the line, too. You know, when we were having the discussion earlier about the FTEs, you know, Chief Puckett had asked for a number of, of additional FTEs. If we can't service our, our vehicles in-house... We have to send them out to, you know, um, other providers, right? You know, H&E, there's a few different vendors out there. Their costs have significantly gone up as as well. 
Yes, yeah, it's it's really our costs across the board. I, I have to say, in everything, we're seeing significant increases. Medical supplies and medical equipment have traditionally been one of the highest inflation drivers of of all inflation. And that's long term. Uh, I think upper education, college education, is probably been second in many years, but. So that's a significant impact to us, but not, so it's not just medical supplies and medical equipment we're seeing now, it's everything. It's everything we're doing that we're seeing significant increases with. Yeah. And then one, in, one challenge we have also is you, you, the simple thing would be, okay, just increase your transport fees, right? That takes, you know, nine months to a year to get that rate increase after we sign it, submit it, get, get it through ADHS. So we're kind of always in that, in that catch up phase, it seems like. Yeah, yeah, completely. And so, and even though those rates increase, the other thing that, that happens with us is, you know, our ambulance transport rate could be a thousand dollars, but Medicaid and Medicare have set rates. If we go, if, you know, the, the insurance companies have set rates, they only pay out. So across the board, there's limitations, even though that's a rate, that's a rate that if we had a cash pay that was paying the full rate would pay. We seldom, as you know, we seldom see that, right? Probably at least 60, 70, maybe more percent are at a significantly reduced rate because of the type of insurance that they have. Yeah, absolutely. And and you would think Medicare, once again, Medicare must be the best paying. They actually aren't, right? When, it, we, when we look at that. Yeah. Very, yeah. I think it's 300, 350. It's not a lot of money that we get per transport on that. Yeah. Before we, we go on and, and talk about the budget, I, I did forget um, one important aspect for anyone out there, it, it, for our employees, but then definitely also for any of the communities that we serve. I think there's a misunderstanding also of what the tax rate is based off of. I think people see, you know, especially with the way the housing market, even though it's it's declined a little bit, it still is, is very high here. Um, there is an important difference from the assessed value and what we actually get taxes off of versus what somebody thinks they can sell their home for, correct? Yeah, a huge difference. So that's part of that limitation on the 5%. But in addition to, um, and that was uh, Prop 113 that passed, in addition to our 117 that passed, in addition to that, um, when it passed about the 5% increase, it moved us from the full cash or or um, it was called secondary or full cash, which was similar to with a market value, right, to what we call primary or limited value. And that limited value only goes up by that 5% a year. Well, in, for instance, um, our Sun City West community, I believe the average home limited value that we collect taxes on is just is between 100 and 150,000 on that. Although most of the homes that probably, if not every home there will sell for more than 150,000, that's significantly less than that hundred than we collect taxes on, but we only collect taxes on that limited value. Yeah. And I think that's important because, you know, you could have some people saying, well, look, you know, if my house is worth $300,000, you're going to tax me on that 300000 And that isn't the case. That is the, you know, maybe not quite the 50%. It may be worth more than that, um, but it's definitely not at the at the 300000 mark. Far, far from it. Far from it. Yeah. Okay. So we've just had a chance uh, earlier this week to 
present some concepts to our uh, to the AFMA Fire Board. Um, moving forward, we're hoping next week they're going to go ahead and give us some direction. Uh, one challenge that we've seen, not only with that that operating um, budget, and, and just to make it clear, it was you know what we started off with. We had 26 FTEs that were being requested, and the gap from where we thought the funding was going to be versus the ask, if I remember right, it was about $4.6 million total. That that was the ask, about $4.6 million extra, right? And so we got that down, fortunately. We presented that to the board. Um, but then one other challenge that we did see is not only with the operating budget, but then with our, our capital plan as well. Do you mind just touching a little bit little bit on that? Sure. So our capital plan is that that's the funds that we have to use to spend to buy fire trucks, to buy ambulances. If we have stations that need repair or if we have a community that's grown and we need to um, add a new station for us, it's not new stations for us. Primarily, it's, you know, it's apparatus and it's ambulances and it's that equipment that we need to purchase. Um so we have a couple ways of funding that. We can purchase those out of our operating budget, which is what we've always done, or some entities use what they call bond funds. Bond funds are a little um, cheaper financing. They're um, financially typically a better process to use those bond funds. But those capital items are items that we plan out. Oftentimes it's a 20-year plan. We buy a capital item, for instance, an ambulance. We may say we can drive this ambulance um, you know, 10 years front line and that's, and 10 years might not seem a lot, but, but really in the fire service world, that's a lot. That's that ambulance is driving every day, all day, 24 seven. It gets a tremendous amount of miles. It takes a lot of wear and tear because sometimes we have rough areas. We have better areas of our community. Um, it's busy, right? And so that it gets a lot of maintenance. And if we don't stay on top of those capital items and replace those when they are needed, Fire districts, I see them get in trouble. It, it's an easy temptation to put off those capital items and say, you know what, we're not going to, we, we're short money, we're not going to buy these fire trucks this year. We're short money, we're not going to buy these ambulances this year. And, you know, two, three years down the road, it comes to the point where you don't have reliable equipment. And in the fire service, we need reliable equipment. We need to know when we get a 911 call, our equipment's going to work. It's going to get us there quickly each and every single time. So you get down the road and now you have a whole fleet of unreliable equipment and you're having to purchase this. It's just not feasible. Departments get in trouble because yeah. of that. The, the way that I, I think the best way I've heard it described, you know, somebody said, well, you know, I'll, I, I can, I'll buy a new vehicle and I'll keep it for 20 years. Yeah. The difference is you're not jumping in your vehicle, starting it up and driving zero to 60 right out of the chute, right? So that wear and tear that you talk about on the vehicles, it is unlike anything. You can't ever apply it that an emergency vehicle is going to be the same as a, as a personal vehicle because just the, the abuse that they take, unfortunately, is, is completely different. Right. Even even compared to some of the work vehicles that you think, okay, these work vehicles are being driven all day, but they're not being driven twenty four seven. In so it adds it adds that much more challenges to it. Absolutely. So talking about the capital plan, so we have a presentation that we did on the operating budget. We'll see where that goes next week, and then once again, we'll do the second podcast once we know what the direction is, so that we can we can inform all of our all of our members. Um, the the uh, capital plan, though, a recommendation is probably going to be to do some bonding capacity to make that happen, correct? It it looks like, and we'll have to, and obviously that's that's a long way down the road, but it looks like it's something we definitely need to investigate, especially because of the rates right now that we can get as compared to if we use traditional financing that have 
much higher interest rates. Um, it, I believe that in, in talking to other districts that have traditionally done it, it, financially it saves a lot of money to go that way. And um, it's just too expensive for our taxpayers to add it all into our operating and maintenance bu- budget. It's better to be able to expend that out a little bit longer term and get that cheaper financing. I think that is something we're going to start looking at. We'll probably set up some focus groups, likely where community members can get involved and look at a plan, look at exactly what we need, provide input. Um, as as, uh, with a bond, you have to have an election. So it's really not for us to say yes or no. We'll have the bond that really goes back to the community and they get that say of yes or no if they pass that bond. Absolutely. And so for us right now, I think it's more getting approval from the board to move forward with the idea of, of going into bonding capacity to purchase those those bigger items that we're going to have for longer. That, that really is that first step, getting the board to say, yes, let's at least investigate that and spend some time looking at it, looking at the feasibility of it, looking at what kind of support we have for that and the benefits of that or or the detriments if there's, if there's cost to it, that there's another way. You know, I think overall with our capital, with our budget, I think it's one thing our authority has done really well. I think that we look diligently of not just what else can we spend, but where can we save money? And, you know, as we walk through those divisions this year, um, we saw in, in so many of divisions, like this division actually reduced their request from last year by 100,000, 150,000. Throughout many of the divisions, really, in those requests of stuff they needed because they just spend that extra time closely scrutinizing what we're spending. Um and each and going out to bid and getting new pricing and requesting our vendors, looking if we can share services. I think that's one been one of the benefits of the authority is when we were just one. We were tr- traditionally, you know, we were five departments, right? Now that will come together with what were previously five departments, previously five fire chiefs and five fire marshals, and and five departments individually buying EMS supplies or paper supplies or a Xerox machine, right? And now we're one. We're one department. We can purchase one Xerox machine. We have one fire chief, one fire marshal. But we also have that economies of scale where we can go back to those vendors and say, no, you know what? This is we're spending this much in medical supplies. Give us a break on our medical supplies because we're buying in bulk where in the past we couldn't. Sure. It's the Costco model versus going to fries and buying one or two at a time. Completely. Yeah. Great. That's helped us. Okay. So what else would you like to cover uh, that we haven't talked about as far as a budget overview? I think really the only other thing is just kind of wrap up with the process. So now, as you mentioned on Tuesday, we'll bring the draft budget to the board. The board approves a tentative budget by law. Um, that tentative budget amount cannot go up. We post and publish that budget. That budget's available for any citizens to look at. It's obviously available for employees to review. We we have kind of all the details with it. But then we have a final budget hearing that will occur in June at that final budget hearing. Uh, we have a call to the public. People can provide input if they want to see changes in those budgets. Those changes cannot include increases, but they can include moving money from one account to the other or decreases. And then we have the bu- final budget gets approved, and then that's the new budget we start on in July 1st. Exciting times. Yeah, it is. 
it's always nice when we're past this challenging time of never enough money and too many demanding expenses, but I think we're making good progress. Absolutely. And and this process has been just a little bit different too, I think with the merger, right? So uh, James Vincent Group has been involved from the Buckeye Valley side, kind of combining everything together. Uh, I think once again, this time next year, uh, we'll be much more smooth. We'll have a better idea how you know everything is going to work and it'll be a, a much smoother process for us. Yeah. It's exciting times. I think, uh, I'm really pleased with how things have gone so far, um, the process, and I think next year will be even better. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us in, again today. And next time, we're, we're definitely going to wrangle Rebecca with you when we do the <laughs> okay, second we podcast. Will. We will. She, sure. she doesn't get out. She can get out this one time, but but no, no pass. second passes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thanks for joining us again today on AFMA 360. Be safe, and I hope you have a great day. <laughs>